Church, you guys are the subculture of the subculture. You recognize that, right? Most people aren't in church ever. Some Christians go to church on Sundays, and even fewer go on the Sunday after Easter. So you are just the core. You are the solid. You are the committed, right? No, and I'm so glad that you're here because I have a message, and it wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. Um, and we need to worship the Lord as the resurrected King this morning. So raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. And if you sit on the aisle and there's a basket under your seat, could you grab a basket and hand it down the aisle? And if you would like, you can fill out an information card, hand off some info if you are new here or if you're like, you know what, I never get anything from them. We should probably get a reminder about your email. Um, good. I think those are the two things. So there are Sundays when it feels as though um, you have to say something. And then there are Sundays when you feel like, oh, you got something to say. And so I got something to say today, and I'm excited about it, excited to share it with you. And I'm glad that you're here, and I'm praying, and have been this week, that this is a really powerful morning. And that we will, as we, um, as we celebrated Lent, or observed Lent, it's more of an observance than a celebration, that we will now be able to turn the corner and jump into a season where we're actually living into the resurrection, celebrating the reality that Jesus has triumphed over death, and that all the things that you brought in with, your, with you today, your, your mind and your heart, all the things that um, threaten to rob you of joy, that you'd be able to see those things in the light of the resurrection. And that that would make a difference, ultimately. That you could, in other words, embrace a faith that makes a difference. All right. Do we have that slide up there? The first keynote? So, uh, she said... She said it just wasn't working for her anymore. Uh, it had for a long time, but it had been a long time since it had. And so she said uh, she was going to try out other religions. That's what she said. Look into something else. Um, he said that he no longer felt a connection to Jesus, or to God for that matter, wasn't sure why, felt like the faucet had been turned off. He says, it just didn't seem right to call himself a Christian anymore. For years now, for several times a year, um, I've had conversations with people who are basically on their way out. Now, I also have really fantastic conversations with people who are on their way in, and that's very intriguing to me. I love those conversations. I love to hear what kind of the light bulbs are turning on. Can you see what's going on there? because I need those slides. Um, thanks. And, uh, but, trying, trying, clicking and clicking. There we go. It's the preacher's fault. I'll take it. It's on me. Flush it. All right. Um, what I'm trying to say, so it's, it's the, the, the conversations of people coming in, fascinating. The conversations with people on their way out, even though they make me sad, also very intriguing to me, very intriguing. Sometimes uh, there's something that's happened, a tragedy has happened, or a trauma has happened, and it just doesn't connect with what they've understood to be Christianity, so it just doesn't, they just can't make sense of it. Um, sometimes, uh, most of the time probably, there's not just one thing that you can point to. Most of the time, there's a variety of things, and it's just like the intrigue has died. It's just like the conviction is, has died, the confidence or something. It's just sort of waned and just sort of eventually gone away. And the passions, gone, whatever you call it, 
uh, there's this conspicuous absence. That's the elephant in the room. This absence, right, of the here and now. There's this haunting lack of spiritual, uh, of spiritual life. <laughs> so, um, last week we celebrated the resurrection. And we read the story from Luke's gospel about the women who go to the tomb on Easter morning. And when they go to the tomb, the surprising thing that they find there is that the tomb is empty, right? And this is what Luke says um, at the end of his gospel. This is, this is from his text from Luke 24. So while they were, he's talking about the women. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Which is a great question, right? So here's this story about a few women who had followed Jesus, but now they're full of sorrow. Nevertheless, they're, they're seeking him still. They're attempting to follow him still. But here's the problem. They are seeking Jesus as he was and not as he is. They're seeking Jesus. They had a relationship with him. A trauma happened, something that does not make sense to their worldview or their religion, frankly, because the Messiah can't die. It says so in Deuteronomy. So something is traumatic, and it's happened, and it's shaken their whole system, and yet they're still wanting to follow. They still want it to work. They don't want it to not work. They want it to work. And so they go the only place they know to go where Jesus is. What's the problem? He's not there anymore. So they want a relationship with Jesus, but they're seeking Jesus as he was, not as he is. So this is who he was matters. It matters a whole lot. Who he was matters, but who he is in a sense, matters way more. How does who he is matter more? In what sense does his present matter more than his past? How can you say anything matters more than the past of Jesus? Well, in this sense, you can learn from the past, right? You can be encouraged by the past. You can anchor your faith in the past, yes, you can do that. But you and I need, I'm going to tell you what you need. You and I need a relationship with God now, right? I mean, I need a relationship with God this morning. Yesterday's relationship with God does not do it all. Oh, it absolutely helps. I learn from it. I'm encouraged by it. I anchor my faith in the way he provided for me yesterday. It gives me hope for tomorrow. But what I need is I need a relationship with God right now. Jesus is not simply a historic religious figure. Amen, right? If that's all he is, all we can do is learn from him. But if what we celebrated last Sunday is true, then Jesus, who lived and died as one of us, is the living God. Okay? He's the living God. So we can do so much more from, than just learn from Jesus. What can we do? We can experience Jesus, here and now. That's what we can do. We can actually have 
I'm going to say something that you've said and heard a thousand times, and I hope you can hear it fresh. We can actually have a real relationship with the living God. Okay? That's amazing! We can have a relationship with the God who is alive. Here's the challenge for us this morning. I'm challenging myself with it. I want to challenge you with it right from the beginning. Can you, Emmaus, can you honestly refer to Jesus in your life as the living one? Can you? Can you honestly say to yourself, yes, Jesus is the living one. And if you can't, then let's, let's open our hearts up, all right? Let's ask for the mercy of God to walk into the relationship that is the fullness of the relationship that Jesus invites us to because, frankly, anything less than that is just not going to make it for us. It's just not going to carry enough water. So this is so critical. Uh, I want to just pause and ask for the Spirit's help as I deliver this and for you as you engage early on a morning and, uh, and I'm going to pray that God will just help us. So I'm asking you, resurrected Jesus, to awaken us to the reality that you are alive. Amen. Amen. Raise your hand if you observed or celebrated Easter last Sunday. I'm figuring it's just about everybody here, right? And so now, and for the next several weeks, we're in the season of Easter. Did you know Easter is a season, according to the Christian church? Easter is a season. So it's a season which we need to ask, uh, in really practical terms, what did the resurrection actually do? What did it actually accomplish? Uh, let me mention a few things to kind of get that rolling. Um, here we go. What did the resurrection do? Well, at least from the perspective of people, the resurrection vaulted Jesus from the role of religious teacher or religious leader to God. Okay, now, he always was God, but that wasn't apparent to anybody. When he resurrects from the other people that resurrected, right? Other people come back to life um, or claimed to be God, but Jesus is the one that does both of those things. Jesus claims to be God and then comes back to life to prove it. Okay, so the resurrection vaults Jesus into uh, this kind of this, wow, I think he probably is God. Secondly, it created the, uh, created the need for the New Testament, which is interesting, isn't it? Paul and others need to write more than what has been Scripture for the people of God for a really long time. There needs to be more because they need to explain how Jesus can die and still be the Messiah. They need to explain that. They need to explain um, why the Messiah has to die, right? And they need to account for their continuing powerful experiences with Jesus, who everybody thinks is dead. But they continue to have powerful encounters with his very presence. So they need to explain that. And then a third thing that the resurrection does, and this is where I really want to focus this morning, is the resurrection makes obsolete a relationship with Jesus that is based solely in the past. That's obsolete now. Okay. It's interesting that the writers of the New Testament, especially the epistles, like the letters at the end of the Bible, Paul, John, Peter, they talk about the resurrection not really primarily as a historic event. They really don't. They talk about the resurrection as a present reality. It's really interesting. 
they believe it happened, they refer to it. But more often than not, they refer to resurrection as a present reality because even though Jesus is no longer walking around with them, they are experiencing Jesus here, now, and still. So that's what they write about. So today and for the next few weeks, I'm going to be teaching on the present relationship, the current relationship, the here and now relationship that you and I are invited to have with Jesus. And remember, it's not with the baby Jesus. And it's not with the carpenter-turned-traveling preacher Jesus. And we're not invited into a relationship even with the crucified Jesus, just to be really, really specific. No, we're, we're invited into a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. That's what we're invited into a relationship with. The res- so the Jesus who, according to Holy Scripture and according to the Creed, on the third day rose again. That's the Jesus we're invited into a relationship with. Or, as, the, as Scripture and the Creeds declare next, who ascended in to heaven. That's what's next in the creed. We believe in Jesus who on the third day rose again, and then the next line is, he ascended into heaven. So taking together the creed statements about Jesus' resurrection and ascension express the truth about Jesus now. This is why this is so powerful. So today I want to talk about the doctrine of the ascension as a foundation for a relationship with Jesus that is more powerful and more present than anything I think we typically experience or maybe even imagine to be possible. More present, more powerful than we commonly understand to be possible. The doctrine that supports this idea is the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. It's a super important doctrine, but it's probably the least understood and most difficult to visualize part of this, the life and the story of Jesus. I read a guy named William Barclay a lot, and one of the things that he says about why it's difficult to understand and to visualize uh, this doctrine, the doctrine of the ascension, he actually gives three reasons. He says, number one, there's no good art about the ascension, right? <laughs> I think it's so funny. There's some beautiful art about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. We see some really beautiful pictures around Christmas. There's some really powerful art about the crucifixion, really haunting kind of stuff about Jesus on the cross. But paintings of the ascension often look kind of cheesy like that. I have wept in movies during the scene of the crucifixion. Most movies about Jesus don't even include scenes about the ascension, and those that do are, are they're just kind of goofy. It's just like, I don't even know what to do with that. It must be really hard to, uh, to depict the ascension in art. Barclay says another reason it's hard to understand and to visualize is because it's hardly discussed in the early accounts or the accounts of the life of Jesus, biographies of Jesus. In other words, you'll read huge sections on the crucifixion. And then you come to the ascension, and it gets like a paragraph or maybe just a couple of sentences. And I'm not talking about pop-level books about Jesus. I'm talking about historical books about the life of Jesus that everybody goes to for some really solid uh, ancient church kind of commentary. There's just not a lot said about it. And then a third reason is we rarely, if ever, hear sermons about the ascension. I know I've never preached on the ascension before. I don't think I've understood the significance uh, well enough to really feel like I have got a message about this to preach. And yet, every major creed, every major Christian creed says Jesus ascended into heaven. And almost every New Testament book refers to, alludes to, the ascension of Jesus. It's a fundamental Christian belief. It's super important. So uh, there's a lot of allusion to it, 
let me just show you, there's only a couple of places where the actual story is told. Uh, end of Luke, end of Mark, and I'm going to read from the beginning of Acts. So Luke um, writes the Gospel of Luke, and then has a second book, a sequel, and it's called The Acts of the Apostles. And at the very beginning, he, be, he starts the Acts of the Apostles with the story of the Ascension. So let's read it in case you have no idea what I'm talking about yet. All right. This is what Luke writes. It go, Acts is right after the Gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he's referring to the cross and the death of Christ. He sh after that, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, it just keeps showing up. Let's just do a whole year on food. It's just fantastic. It just keeps showing up. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still think it's about a political kingdom. They still think something else is, is, is on its way. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The word there is martyr, actually, which is a little bit intense. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, here it comes. He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." All right, the story of the ascension. Now, um, I started by asking what, what, what's commonly at the root of people's experiencing a loss of faith, a loss of life-giving faith? What's really going on inside people who seem to just lose interest in Jesus? Clearly, there are a whole variety of reasons. Sometimes there's sin. Sometimes there's just a string of disappointments that just wears a person down to a point where there's nothing left. Uh, there's often all kinds of challenges that a person faces. But what often happens in the relationship with Jesus, from my perspective, what often happens is that the relationship with Jesus ceases to be a present tense relationship and exists only in the past. Now, there's always this pull. There's always this tendency. There's, in other words, there's always this, this drag on us to have our current relationship with Jesus pulled back to it just so it just lives in the past. But here's where it becomes dangerous, is when it is allowed to exist in the past for long enough, okay, when your relationship with Jesus exists only as a past thing for long enough, well, eventually, 
the distance between now and then just gets so, so big. And I don't even hardly remember it anymore. It ceases to really have much power. Pretty soon it just sort of, it sort of dies, and there's just an empty tomb back there. So this morning I want to do two things ultimately. I want to urge us to shift from a, a relationship with God that is memorable to one that is powerful. Okay? And then second, I want to urge us to realize that Jesus' ascension into heaven does not make him absent. In fact, the opposite is true. It makes him more present than ever. Right? So I'll just walk through this, and this is on the back page of your notes in case you're trying to fill that out. So how does believing the doctrine of the ascension help move me from a relationship with Jesus that is memorable to a relationship with Jesus that is powerful? Well, first, the doctrine of the ascension says this. It says that Jesus is alive, not just that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's super important, and we talked about that last week. But there's more than that, because the other people were raised from the dead, right? Jesus raised a widow's son who died from the dead. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus, who died, was even buried in the tomb and stunk, brought him back to life. And what's crazy and unfortunate for those folks is that they die again. <laughs> They've got two funerals, but Jesus lives, dies, and then stays alive. Jesus only has one funeral, right? So when we talk about the ministry of Jesus, I think it's so interesting. What do we typically mean when we talk about or when we refer to the ministry of Jesus? We typically think about like when he was walking around Palestine, right? Teaching and healing and casting out demons and preaching the kingdom of God on earth. We typically think about Jesus's earthly ministry, which is massively important, just massively important. But we think about his life, think about it, the word life. We think about his life, but we imagine it back then, However, we rarely think about his heavenly ministry. Theologians call it his celestial session. Sounds like a record to me, like somebody dusted off an old pile of notes and found Jesus' celestial sessions, you know, and now they're coming out. But that's what theologians refer to. His, his current ministry is his, his heavenly ministry, his celestial session. And the reason it's a little bit surprising that we think about his earthly ministry when we think about Jesus' ministry and not his heavenly ministry is because it's his heavenly ministry that is his current ministry. Follow me? That's what he's currently doing. I think it radically shifts my perspective when I realize that Jesus is still ministering. He has not retired, okay? He's alive, and he's engaged in my life right now through the Holy Spirit of God, right? Jesus didn't just, if you could put just on this phrase, which is almost heretical, but Jesus didn't just die for us. He is now actively ministering to us, okay? So the ascension shows us that Jesus doesn't just live on the pages of our Bible, but that he is alive. He's alive right here, right now. Secondly, the ascension shows us what it means for us to be fully alive. Timothy Luke Johnson writes, in Jesus' manhood, uh, no, he says, in Jesus' manhood or human, humanity reaches its peak reaches its crown and becomes what God meant for it to be. The ascension shows us what man was made for. Not the grave, but for exaltation. See, perhaps the most shocking part of the doctrine of the ascension is this, that Jesus retains his human body. He keeps it. 
This is sort of shocking if you think about it, right? Um, the disciples see Jesus' physical body ascend up into the sky. It's not just his spirit, right? They don't see like a dove or some symbol of his spirit. They see his body go up into the sky, and this is huge. This is really significant. Let me try to explain this. So in the beginning was the Word. This is what John says in the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he says, was with God. He's referring to Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. And then in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right? And then in the, in the doctrine of the ascension, the Word returns to heaven, but retains the flesh. So in the beginning, Jesus is the Spirit, is with God. He's all God. And then when he comes to earth, he becomes the God-man. All God, all man. You might just think that when he ascends to heaven, he's done with the man part. And just but he's not. This is amazing. So he ascends, he returns to heaven as the God-man. He forever and to this day retains his humanity. He is unified with the Father as a human. In other words, he reveals, in so doing, he reveals to us what we were made for, right? To be fully alive and to be fully unified with God. This is not something that just exists in some sort of hypothetical potential on a spiritual level. We were created, what does it mean? Oh, I'm just human. We say that, I'm just human. And what we mean is I'm broken, I'm sinful. Ah, no, just human. Do you understand that? Human means I've been created to be physically united with God forever. How do you know that? Because Jesus is. He showed us how to live. He showed us how to die, how to sacrifice for the, and now he's showing us what it means to be fully human, united forever with God. I just think that's amazing. At funerals, you hear this said all the time, and people have good intentions. Maybe you've said it. I'm not trying to be offensive, but maybe they have good intentions, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. What they say is, well, now she's an angel. No, she's not. She's so much more than that. She's human. For the first time, she's fully alive, and she's fully united with God. I mean, come on. Don't drop that into some other category of existence called angel, as amazing as they may be. No, she's human. She's fully united with God, right? Like Christ, who, who showed us what it means to be human by maintaining his humanity, his flesh, and being united with Christ. See, this takes me way past an anemic empty tomb version of Christianity where I remember Jesus. And this pushes me into a powerful living relationship with the living Jesus who shows me what it means to be alive. Amen? Way past memorable to powerful. And that's what I need. And then here's a second, here's a second piece we need to kind of grasp. So that was the power piece. Here's the present piece. Jesus' ascending into heaven does not make him absent. This is kind of a mind bender. It actually radically increases his presence. When we talk about Jesus' ascension, we say, we say this all the time. We say, well, that's when Jesus left. But that's actually not accurate, right? He didn't leave. And, and it's not that we're stupid. The disciples wrestle with this too. They wrestle with comp comprehending Jesus' absence. Because in our world, when you're somewhere else, you're not here. 
right? When you're somewhere else, you can't be here. And but somehow Jesus' presence in the doctrine of the ascension, it provides this mind-blowing quality of presence that breaks the boundaries of place. So Jesus' presence actually, in a sense, increases in the ascension. And it increases on two levels. First, Jesus is with us. He's with all of us. The last words that um, Matthew has Jesus saying at the end of his gospel is, surely I am with you always. Remember that? To the very end of the age, Jesus goes from being in one place at a time to being unrestricted by place. And this is amazing. Like Thomas Aquinas wrote this. He says, the withdrawal of the bodily presence was more profitable for us than his bodily presence would have been. Right? John Calvin writes, Christ left us in such a way that his presence might be more useful to us. Why'd you leave, Jesus? So that my presence can be... Why'd you leave? He didn't really leave. Right? He ascends so that his presence might be more useful to us. Calvin says that in sending, Jesus did not cease to be present with believers who are still on their earthly pilgrimage, but to rule heaven and earth with more immediate power, right? If I'm going to help Eric at the back door, I got to cover 75 feet, unless I don't have a problem with place, in which case I can have immediate power in all places, which is the mystery and the power of the, the, the presence that exists because of the doctrine of the ascension. It's like, Jesus, it's like Jesus is more powerfully present in a new and more powerful form of existence. So even though his physical body may be absent from us, Jesus is actually powerfully present with us spiritually. So he's present with us here at Emmaus Church. And Jesus is at Heritage Church on the other side of town, Right? And Jesus is at Redeemer Church in New York City, and Jesus is in Nicaragua, and Jesus, see what I'm saying? He's everywhere, unless we're just pretending, right? He's not affected by presence. Spiritually, the presence of Christ is now more powerfully there, right, because of this. So this is what John writes. Um, Yes, and I wanted to say this, at the same time, Jesus is powerfully present, so not just with us, but at the same time, Jesus is more powerfully present with the Father. This is the other part of the presence. He's with the Father. He's with us. He's also with the Father, where he continues to minister as our advocate. I mean, this just keeps getting better and better to me. I, John writes this. He says this, 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who is with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. All right. So what do Christians believe? Well, Christians believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is human, and that even though Jesus returned, in a sense, to heaven, he retained his humanity, and he is right now present to the Father. And what is he doing? He's advocating for those he loves. He's advocating for those he loves. Not only did the Son become human to die for us, he retains his humanity in the presence of the Father, advocating for us as one of us. I mean, come on. That's incredible. That's incredible. 
Someone just like you praying for you in the presence of God. You can't have a better advocate than someone just like you. Look, he's like, look at Father, look at me in my humanity, praying for those that we love, right? Oh my gosh, so good. This is what we believe. This is what we believe, that Jesus is powerfully present. This is the beauty of the doctrine of the the ascension. So, let's end with this. There's this phrase that we say. If you've been around the Christian church at all, you've heard this phrase. In the name of Jesus. We say this phrase. In the name of Jesus. What does that mean? In light of what we've just talked about. Well, let me give you a few. When we gather in the name of Jesus, what we're doing right here is we're gathering with Jesus. Jesus is gathering with us. Yes, we remember him, but we remember him like we remember a friend at our friend's birthday party, not the way we remember a friend at our friend's funeral. It's different, right? I went to a friend's 40th birthday party recently, and we spent a lot of time remembering telling old stories about high school craziness, and we remembered a lot of things. But the whole point of remembering was to have a real, live, present relationship with my friend who's alive, and that's why I'm celebrating, right? That's why I've gathered to celebrate his life. So yes, I remember him, but the the real point in my gathering in the name of Jesus is because I'm going to gather with Jesus. When we pray, in the name of Jesus, okay? We are communicating with the living God. <laughs> We're communicating with God. A few days ago, some of us helped Debbie move into her new home, and after we moved some stuff in, she asked me to bless her house, right? And so I'm praying that God will dwell in this home with Debbie, with her children, And this is not just some empty religious ritual. This is not some sort of preacher's form of like smashing a champagne bottle against a ship. Okay? If if this is real, something's happening. I am praying in the name of Jesus. What am I doing? I am literally communicating with the living God and I am asking him to live here with Debbie and her girls right now. I mean, that's... That's, that matters, right? If I'm praying in the name of Jesus, man, let's not take that lightly. I am communicating with the living God. And then finally, when we prophesy in the name of Jesus, when we speak the truth over a person, when we speak the truth of God into a situation, right, we are accessing and declaring the very power that created the world. Okay, this is why we should be like, on fire after Easter because the, the message of the resurrection leading to the ascension of Jesus takes the power that we have at our fingertips to a whole new level. I mean, it just takes it to a, a whole new level. We have access and we're declaring the very power of the creator, the one who was, the one who is, the one who ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. Christians believe, friends, Christians believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. That's what we believe. We say it in the creed. We believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. And because of that, he is more powerful and he is more present than we ever imagined. 
Amen? So let's ask for grace to live into that doctrine, to live into that element of what it means to be a Christian. We haven't understood it well in the past. Let's ask for grace to understand it and to live into it, right? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, some of us have, it's been years. Ah, oh, man, there's so many responsible, dutiful, faithful people in this church who are worshiping you as well as they can because they know you're God and they know they're yours. And so they come and they want to worship you. But in their hearts, they just know it's been a long time since there's been anything that's really uh, woken up and it's sort of a past tense relationship and and there's this is nothing about merit or anything about deserving or working hard it's just we're just praying we're just acknowledging a common reality and we're praying for grace lord would you would you resurrect in our lives would would you bring your uh, this gift of a relationship with you into the here and now if there's anything in us that's blocked you from that if we've said oh, i've got it on my own now I want to be in control now. I pray that we would lay that stuff down and that we would just cry out to you right now. Jesus, I need, I need you here now. I need a relationship with you right here, right now. I trust in what happened in the past. I put my anchor in a prayer where I invited you in. But on top of that, I just, I'm praying that right now we could have a current relationship and that we could experience as a church, Lord, I ask that we could experience your presence in a new, thick, powerful, life-giving way, and your power in a new, powerful way, God, for your glory, so that we could become people as you created us to be, so we could become the church that you created us to be. God, we ask for this in the name of Jesus, who ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Would you stand up with me? Let's take a moment. Attempt to put Christian community into action and just welcome people in the name of Jesus today. Extend peace, a hug, a handshake, a good morning. We want people to know that they're embraced by Christ through us. Amen. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Greet one another with the peace of Christ. We're not done. We'll come back together in just a minute.